In a world where two podcasters are torn apart by time, distance, and movie theater showtimes, Cam and Kirk's Amateur Movie Review Podcast explores the best and worst parts of two films released in the same week. The Boy and the Heron, now in theaters, and Leave the World Behind, now streaming on Netflix. Welcome, welcome, listeners. Thank you for selecting us on your smart mobile devices. I think that's the new upgraded term from tuning in, right? Definitely. That is definitely something that people say, and it doesn't leave anybody out. It's all-encompassing and and well done. Yeah. You sounded like a real human being there, Kirk. Oh, cool. Instead of tuning in, right? Yes. Oh, cool. That's what we're going to say from now on, because I think we've said tuned in uh, a thousand times on our almost 300 episodes. So, Except for we're not tuning in, because it's not radio. There's never tuning. I don't think we said... Do Have we said tuning? I'm positive I have said it Uh, before. You have probably been better. I've probably... No, I've probably said it. I've probably said it. Well, we'll pause and we'll go listen to all the podcasts right now. Yeah. It's 300 hours worth. We got to come up with something better. We do. (laughs) Thank you for accessing our podcast today. We're so excited. It's been a weird week. There's been a lot of things released kind of as a blitz towards usually this time there's a blitz because of the Oscars, right? People want, um, people have a lot of, uh, a lot of loss of memory. Uh, This was overcome by Last year's winner, Everything Everywhere All at Once, mm-hmm. released in January, February, and won the Oscar without any kind of competition. Uh, but this year, I think it's different. I think it's going to be from re- the recency effect, where what big movies have come out in the fall? We've got two big ones we're talking about this week, and unfortunately, we were not able to see them at the same time. That's right. This is. Let's join me, listeners, <laughs> viewers. I'm gonna. I want to speak to you because Kirk uh, reneged. On a deal, and I think it's time for some public shaming. <laughs> he told me he was going to go see the boy and the heron, which I was to my, you know, it was much to my surprise because Kirk is like not the animation guy. This is not his thing. No. And so when he's like, "Hey, I think we should just do the boy and the heron," I was like, "Let's go." And then I get a text last night that there weren't enough show times. There weren't enough show times for Kirk to go see the movie, and so he's going to review a different film this week. And so. uh Kirk, first of all, I'll allow you to explain yourself because the people are owed at least that from well, you. Cam, as you know, I have a newborn. Oh, yeah, and I don't. I drove, I'll have you know, <laughs> I drove 45 minutes to get a good showtime of the movie to go see this. Oh, yes, yes, you did. That is true. You also have a newborn. And That's you, right. You took our nephews as well. I did. So you. <laughs> I didn't even have to do that, but I did it because I, I love them. So as a labor of love and extra steps in your movie viewing you uh you outdid me. And That's right. Meanwhile, I sat on my couch <laughs> and watched a Netflix film. Cheater. Cheater pumpkin eater. Is, I did. Is what I would say. And also for your punishment, Kirk, you will have to what should we do? You will have to watch a Hayao Miyazaki film of my choice. Oh. 
and then review it on Kirk's Animation Station when we finally mm-hmm. launch that segment that we've been talking about for a million years. You know what? We can as long as it's streaming. <laughs> it, no, they're all streaming. <laughs> oh, good. We, uh, I get to choose. It could be Howl's Moving Castle. It could be Spirited Away. Give me Kiki. Kiki's Delivery Service. The OG, right? No, Kiki's a newer one. Oh, okay. I feel like. I thought it was the first one. No. Ponyo. You could do Ponyo. That's an early one. There's lots of options. Okay. I will choose I will choose one that I hope you like. I want you to think about it. I want an answer before the end of this podcast. And Got we're, it. We're gonna make sure it's streaming. Yes. And then we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. There'll I love a, it. There'll be a small segment next week. Uh Kirk's animation what is it called? Kirk's animation station. Yep. And I'm gonna be talking about what I feel about it because I'm not a big animation guy. I don't know why. I loved animation when I was a kid, and it just didn't translate when I grew up, even though there's nothing wrong with animation as an adult. You have no soul. I think that's what <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Adulthood has has ripped your soul from your body, and we need to bring it back. It's I, our it's all of us. We have to bring it back. Please help me. Uh, listeners and viewers. I think that's fair. I think it has left my body a long time wow. ago. That's sad. Let's let's let this sit for a while. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna sit in silence for the next ten minutes and and just kind of ponder that. I want to play some like very dark music <laughs> underneath this, <laughs> like massage room music, yes. so that we can think. That'd be good. Okay, well, to get into it, though, we're going to review both of these movies because we didn't want to just pick one. We wanted to do both because maybe you saw one over the other. Maybe you're an animation person. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're a big Julia Roberts fan or a big Mahershala Ali fan. There's mm. all, all different colors out there and all different options for you. So today we're reviewing The Boy and the Heron and Leave the World Behind. We're going to kick it off with Cam. He's going to give us his accolades. I'm going to ask random questions throughout whenever I see fit. Yes. Uh, or I might just sit here dumbfounded and be like, did they draw that? I don't know. I don't know. They all. did, Kirk. They did draw that. <laughs> Amazing stuff. I don't know all the animation questions. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So Cam, whenever you're ready, I want you to kick us off with all the things about The Boy and the Heron. Yeah, The Boy and the Heron. So this, uh, for those who are not familiar with uh, Hayao Miyazaki or Studio Ghibli. Um, this is one of the most storied directors in animation, period. His movies in Japan are like Avengers Endgame here every time they release. Like, they don't even, they need no amount of press. If they hear the name Hayao Miyazaki, they're showing up. This guy is the king. And he was retired, um, sort of like a self-imposed retirement where he was like, you know what, I'm done. I think After the Wind Rises was maybe his most recent one. And out of the blue, he returns. Wow. Like, imagine if Tarantino made 10. This, like, this is the comp oh. I can think of. Imagine Tarantino makes his 10 and is like, all right, I'm out. And then comes back like six years later. I mean, people would lose their minds here. This is what it's like in Japan. And okay. so this is, this is a huge deal. Um, this guy is the best. He's directed lots of movies you've probably heard of if you follow the Academy Awards, like Hell's Moving Castle, Spirited Away. They've just really grown in acclaim, and um, this is supposed to be his final movie, though now since he said, like, oh, I could maybe do another one, but it's really <laughs> all about the creative process for him and whether or not um, he feels inspired to do it. And this film was very different in terms of story. This one was a lot more grounded. He actually based it around World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, his films always involve sort of like, well, not always, but most of the time involve the real world or some version of the real world and some sort of tangential world, like a dreamlike world that sort of overlaps the world and intersects with it. Almost like a lion, the witch in the wardrobe type thing Okay, where you can access this other 
planes of different dimensions. Mm -hmm. And so this movie was very much like that. And, uh, but it also centered around World War, World War II, and so it has a period aspect to it. It's got a lot of historical context to it, as well as his usual abstract, um, dreamy worlds that he built. So it was really cool. Yes, it says here on PluggedIn.com that it was potentially semi auto. Hold on, <laughs> semi autograph. Oh, what is the word? You got it. You got it. You got it. I'm here for you. You can do this. Semi autobiographical. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is, true? Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. Um, I haven't heard him talk about it specifically, but if so, it's a crazy story. It's uh -huh. a, it's a story about, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I think in general, it's a story about a boy who is just kind of coping with big changes in his life and trying to figure out how to bring control to his world because kids are so, I think it's so great. He uses kids a lot in his movies and that's really about, you know, when you're a kid, things happen to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have very little is in your control. And really as an adult, that's true too, but we don't always see it that way. So I think he uses kids because they're vulnerable and we can say this is happening to him. And, uh, he's just, you know, this character, Mahito, he's trying to get control over his life and to pick up the pieces when some big changes happen it's really, it's really fascinating stuff. All right. Well, tell me, how do you rank this with actors, with voice actors? Yeah. Tell me what, what kind of version did you see? Oh yeah. So I saw the the English dub, okay. which I know um, people who are big Studio Ghibli fans. Which, by the way, it it is pronounced Ghibli. I've heard a lot of people saying Ghibli. Ghibli. And my nephews were like trying to school me on this, and I had to be like the old man. I was like, no. <laughs> It's Ghibli, okay? <laughs> I think if you call it Ghibli, it's fine. But I, I did some research on it because I was like, man, I've been calling it Ghibli for years. Am I wrong? Which would be horrible. Oh, my gosh. It's like GIF and GIF. I'm never wrong. Um, my wife said he always has to be right whenever I corrected my nephews. I said, I don't always have to be right. I just always am right. So <laughs> it's Studio Ghibli. But if you're familiar with it, um, you can see these movies usually in America in two formats, subbed and dubbed. Subbed is... In Japanese, with the original voice actors, the original everything, mm -hmm. with subtitles. Dubbed is re-audio engineered with American uh, voices or English voices and, um, you know, some different textures and things like it. A lot of people don't like dubbed movies because sometimes they get really lazily done. And so there's this thing that, you know, amongst people who are really into anime or really into foreign films, that dub is always worse. I think that's almost certainly true with live action movies. I can't hardly watch a live action dubbed movie because the hard. mouths are so crazy, but with animation, the dubs have really gotten very good and G kids did the dub for this. They did the dub for wolf walkers and they've done the dubs for a lot of recent, um, really popular foreign films. Okay. And they did a phenomenal job with picking this voice cast, which included tons of recurring studio Ghibli, um, people like Christian Bale, who played Hal in Hal's Moving Castle. Uh, Mark Hamill appears in this movie. Um, Willem Dafoe. So, so lots of your favorites, if you're a Studio Ghibli fan, are back in this film. It was so great to hear their voices and to remember those warm feelings. But I watched the English dub. English dub. Okay, so who gets the best actor? And the Oscar goes to who? Came this one is so easy because it is an unrecognizable performance. If you're following this movie at all, you've definitely seen clips of it. It's Robert Pattinson. It's uh, Robert Pattinson who is just really changing the way that he's viewed in this world. You know, I mean, for the longest time, he was the Twilight guy. He was Cedric Diggory. You know, he was... Nobody took him seriously. Mm -hmm. Now he's the Batman. Now he's in the lighthouse. Now he's, you know, getting nominated for 
awards and he does a performance. He plays the gray heron in this movie, a performance that is so jaw droppingly insane. I can't even quantify it. You, I sat through the whole movie knowing it was Robert Pattinson trying to hear any semblance or inkling of Robert Pattinson's real natural voice, which I'm not even sure what his natural voice is, to be honest with you. It's different in every film. And I I got nothing. This, this was remarkable. Um, It's such a lively performance because he's also playing a character that is, you know, partially a flying animal and partially a human being type thing. And so he's doing lots of like, Ah, you know, like grunting, like squawking. <laughs> He's doing all these crazy things that I think people don't think about when they think of voice acting. And it's just, it's incredible. I, I couldn't choose anyone else. It had to be Robert Pattinson. Those are my favorite things to like, you see the behind the scenes yes. of the actors acting out their performance. So I just want to see Robert Pattinson yeah. running around the studio. Like <laughs> they're like, now you're going to fall off a cliff. <laughs> He's like, Ooh, yeah. he stacks a bunch of chairs and he dives off. <laughs> it's seriously insane. I can't wait till you see it because it's really like, it's, it's nuts. And they, they've taken such care of this dub. I know a lot of people, really hated the way Disney handled a lot of the dubs that happened in recent years um, with Studio Ghibli specifically. This dub is very good, and, and the voice acting performances are, are second to none. Really good. Our Pat's number one. Who's your scene stealer for this movie? It is uh, another up-and-coming huge star, Miss Florence Pugh, who ah. plays Kiriko um, in this movie. And she's also doing some dual work here where her character... I'm not going to get into it, but her character has different versions of itself. Mm -hmm. So she plays the same version. Um, There's kind of a bit of a a time component going on where characters exist between time in some instances. And again, another unrecognizable performance. I'm like, I know Florence Pugh. I've seen all of her movies, I think, just about. Um, And I'm very familiar with her. But she didn't just phone it in. She came in and she gave a real performance and Kiriko as a character is so funny she's like at the beginning she's just kind of this bit part where she's like (laughs) obsessed with trying to get her hands on some cigarettes she's like that's like her character's (laughs) thing she's like trying to get them and I guess they're scarce because of the war or whatever else is going on and but then she's also like this really fierce defender uh Maito who is the young boy who's the boy in the boy in the heron um and kind of like this this motherly protective guardian angel type figure in his life. And to watch her kind of play that back and forth so seamlessly and use different vocal textures. Um, it's really good. It's really good. I thought she was great. And uh, in a cast where there's so many standout performances, I mean, uh-huh. I, I named some of the names, huge names, great vo- voice actors. Those are the two that stand out, Florence Pugh and Robert Pattinson. I love the idea of her being a nicotine addict (laughs) suffering from severe withdrawals. (laughs) And so her new vice is to protect this other person. That's fantastic. It's almost like, have you seen, you see like uh, Wes Anderson movies, like he'll throw in like this joke of where like somebody keeps noticing one particular thing. Like I think in Fantastic Mr. Fox, he's like, wolf, who said something about a wolf? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And she'll be, she does that with like tobacco. She's like, hey, do you have tobacco? What, what is that? Is that tobacco? <laughs> it's, it's really funny. I think we have some relatives that are like that or were like that. We won't say their names. That's right. The next one up we're going to dive into, Cam, is your uh, showstopper. What really just like blew you away about the boy and the heron? Yeah, so 
um, format comes into play here because I saw this in IMAX format, which I didn't know. I, I don't know that I've ever seen an animated film in IMAX format, like a true IMAX screen with the correct IMAX aspect ratio or anything. Mm. Um, this film was apparently made, made for it and made within those uh, parameters. And the visuals with a Miyazaki movie are always second to none as an animator. He's the best. I mean, truly uh, in terms of 2d animation, there's not, there's nothing better than a, than a Hayao Miyazaki movie. And this movie was the same in that, but he always has some sort of element of like fire. He likes to use fire as a thematic device. And one of the main characters in this movie, um, their whole theming and their whole story revolves around fire Mm -hmm. and the ability to control fire and the ability to, um, you know, there's lots of scenes with fire and there is a scene at the beginning of this movie where uh, Maito, the main character, is running toward a fire. It's part of the overall theming of the movie. And his character's crying. And uh, Miyazaki does this insane thing where it's a fire effect, but it's also blurring, like you're like like as if you're running and seeing through tears. And so they don't do it like a POV from Mahito's view. Got it. They do what it would look like if you had his eyes, but you're seeing him. So it's almost like we're crying and seeing the fire in the same way that he is. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and and they continue to use different fire effects. It's just very non-traditional. It's, it's very creative. It's like to see an animated element like fire be used thematically throughout the movie, but to just be thought of in such an out-of-the-box abstract way to where it's like, any animator in the world animates fire at some point mm-hmm. or another. And they probably animate it mostly the same way. But in this way, it takes on this whole other texture. It takes on this whole other feel. And it's such a impactful dynamic element. So rather than just saying the animation overall, I'm going to go specifically into this fire through line um, mm-hmm. that revolves around this one character and the way that it's used and the way that he finds creative ways to place it and modify it. It's just jaw dropping. Yeah. So good. I think that's called fourth person uh, perspective. Okay. It's like, I don't know of any, I can't like think of any examples, but I've, I know that it exists and it's where you overlap the relationship between who is telling the story and how the story is being viewed, which is incredible. I think that's so cool because you could have very easily just shown him crying um, and had like cool effects. Maybe his, tears are like you know like when fire gets really hot and it like rains fire like yeah. that could have happened right but the fact that we saw from the viewer side and again i've not seen this movie but how you described it that's very cool very unique i don't think i've seen a movie at all that i can rec- uh, recollect about any kind of fourth person perspective that's really yeah cool. and this is like five minutes into the movie what <laughs> so what? i was like i like when it when the opening scene happens it's like this very dynamic thing uh this huge event that's happening and there's this huge fire because it's like around the war. And here comes Maito like running, trying to be of help. He's a young boy. He's crying. And you get just this stunning visual to start the movie. And I was like, if that is any sort of like sim- like symbol of what's to come in this movie, we are in for an absolute ride and a half. Oh my gosh. Um, and it's awesome. All right. Tell me what you didn't like about this, Cam. If you were... The director's name that I can't pronounce. Hayao Miyazaki. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you were in his shoes, if you were the art director, the director, the everything he does, how would you change this movie? I think um, it's, I, I use this one a lot because so many films 
struggle with balancing this and it's pacing mm-hmm. pacing struggles a bit in this movie. And if you're somebody who's seen other Miyazaki movies, but hasn't seen this one, you might go no way because this is like his movies have a really frenetic sort of pace where it's almost like, um, you're just in the thick of it. He's, you can't tell you can't you have a, a trouble orienting yourself in his movies because he's moving fast. He's going through all these different set pieces and there's all these like fantastical elements like talking scarecrow or talking fire or whatever. And so you're just kind of like, whoa, whoa, there's all these different things going on in this movie. He really took a very methodical approach with building the character at the upfront of Mahito so that you can, and maybe it's because of that, like semi autobiographical um, approach that he's taking to the narrative of this movie that he really felt like, I have to make sure the audience knows where this kid is at in his life and why, because for the rest of the movie, it's needed to know that. But I think he goes too far with it. And to the point where he almost loses you because it's like the audience is there or like, you know, as I'm watching, I'm like, I'm, I'm there. I got it. Like, I know where this kid's at. I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Mm -hmm. Like, let's move on because it really is like, almost the entire first half of the movie that's like largely exposition. And then you've got this other half that takes place in this like dreamlike world. And you're like, I need to, I almost wish I had more time there because once you get into the dream world, it's like, boom, 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 you're moving fast. And I'm like, I could have used more time there versus in the upfront in the real world with that exposition. So I think there's just a little bit of a, a misbalance. I, it's tough too though, because the character, like the character stuff is so critically important. So for me, I can see why he did that. Mm -hmm. I just think he played it a little too heavy when he could have kind of dialed it back a little bit. Yeah. That could have been the director's cut version. Yes, exactly. Exactly that. Like if you've got extra stuff, let's see it. Mm -hmm. But this is what happens, Kirk, when you get directors who are, you know, this is his, well, you know, magnum opus or what have you, his ninth symphony, like his semi autographical, <laughs> yeah. autobi- semi autobiographical movie, yeah, right. And so, usually, to your point, like his movies would usually be like a tight 90. Mm-hmm. This one's two hours, and it's probably because he's got carte blanche. They're like, This guy is the goat, right? And we're not going to tell him to cut, but he, he could have used a few notes maybe from, yeah. from, from a few like other people saying like, Hey, I think this part's a little bit long in the tooth. Like let's trim that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got yourself a perfect film. Cause it really was that close. Maybe it's uh, some notes from us. Uh, yeah. That's all we asked. I would love, I, I would be honored. I would be absolutely honored. Yep. So. And then they don't listen to us and they kill us. <laughs> and that's fine too. We deserve that. <laughs> Finally, your final thoughts and score on the boy and the heron. Yes. I'm very high on this movie. If you haven't guessed, uh, I thought it was really lovely. Um, I think, depending on how you interpret it, because it is a very interpretive film. It's not one. It's one of those like, that's going to annoy you because I don't think we'll ever really know (laughs) what it's about. But I think the way that I interpreted it, the way I interpreted it makes for a really beautiful sort of story that can apply to anybody. And I love that. So the story, the narrative, it's, it's great. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit off balance in terms of the pacing, like I just talked about, but the acting performances and the dub really good. Um, the direction, the animation insane. Some of the best, I mean, some of the best I've ever seen 2d animation. Um, really, really good. And I, I mean, I think this is, 
it's going to be this and Across the Spider-Verse, I think, for Best Animated Film oh. at the Oscars. So Disney, I don't think, stands a chance at all to even have a have a say in this award this year, which is crazy to say. Um, and just should really speak to the quality of this film as well as Across the Spider-Verse, which I know we've already talked about. But um, this is a really good movie. It's a really good Miyazaki movie, too. I would say it ranks highly amongst his portfolio for context. Howl's Moving Castle is my favorite one. Um, I'm giving this an eight, nine. Ooh, I was, I was very close to nine. I think it's so close to being like, not just a nine, but like a high nine, but there's a few critical, like the pacing does, does hurt it. It hurts it to the point where you get to a climax. That's like very much well-earned and very much impactful, but you spent so much time at the beginning that you're like, we rushed into this climax. I really wish we would have had more time to build appropriately. Like it's the right end point and the right starting point, but the middle is a little bit wonky. Loosey goosey. So, mm. yep. So eight, nine is my score. I think it's a great score. I think it's a really good movie. I think if it won, I would be a little surprised because I think across the spider versus the odds on favorite, but I think it has an outside chance. Wow. It's really good. That'd be wild. Well, big notes, big wins, big love for the boy and the heron. Yes. That I didn't get to see, and uh, I won't get to see uh, because it's not in streaming at yet. Not yet. And I have to watch something by next week, according to Cameron's punishment. So, Cam, whenever you have that idea of what I'm going to be watching, just let me know. Maybe before I'll tell you at the end. Okay, perfect. Have you already thought of which one you want to do? I'm between. I'm between three. Between three. Okay. Okay. You're (laughs) because I'm trying to balance like. I want to punish you, absolutely, <laughs> by picking one that's, like, crazy. Oh, no. But I also don't want to scare you away because I think there's a chance that if you really like the one that I pick, you might dig deeper, and I'm like, maybe that's the maybe that's what I should shoot for. Mm, that's true. So stay tough. tuned. It's tough. Cam's going to give me my punishment at the end Question of this mark, episode yes. here. But before we get there, before we move into our next movie review, let's chat about our sponsor. From Smoothie King. They are our, what do you call them? They're, they're our premier sponsor, our founding sponsor. Founding sponsor. They're technically our title sponsor because it's, or presenting sponsor. Our only sponsor. They are our only sponsor. <laughs> they are our sponsor. They are our sponsor. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> St. Louis area Smoothie Kings. You know them. They're the big, the beautiful, red, vibrant Colors that draw you in while you're driving down the street like, all right, there's McDonald's, uh, there's Burger King, there's Wendy's. Ah, a healthier option. And you turn into Smoothie King because it just looks so incredible. I mean, King is in the name of it, Cam. It It is. It rules overall. It literally rules the day. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, with Christmas coming up, you can get gift cards for Smoothie King. You have friends, you know, maybe introduce someone to Smoothie King. Maybe they've never tried it and they're not sure about it. That's the perfect entry to get them in. Uh, Stop by anyone and purchase them. You could also, uh, I I think it'd be fine if we completely threw out turkey and ham and mashed potatoes and just had Smoothie King smoothies for Christmas dinner. What do you think? I'm in favor of... Because I, uh, the, all that like old traditional stuffy food, it's just, yeah. Right. It's just okay. We're breaking down the barriers of the traditions thrown upon Let's us. Let's do it. I think that'd be fantastic. Yes. I mean, I really think we could have a, a fantastic just serving of every type of smoothies. You have like 
four billion different cups of smoothies on on the table. You have the the bowls as well. Yeah, you have the dessert bowls that just came out for the winter season as well. With yeah, you don't need a fruit cake. You need a fruit smoothie. A fruit smoothie or a fruit bowl. And uh, what's it? The cocoa pataya, right? Just put it all on the table. I mean, I kid you not, guys. I have exclusively recently switched to uh, all lunches, all smoothies, all the time. Yep. And in a, a week and a half, I've lost six pounds. Not even trying. Like yep. I got on the scale much happier these past couple of days, and I'm here to I'm here to stay. And it's delicious. It's so delicious. Uh, right now, I'm getting the the power meal cinnamon banana. Cam, what's the last one that you've had? You know, I love the spinach pineapple power meal. Ooh. It's like 42 grams of protein in a 32 ounce, which is outrageous. Can you see the arms on this man? Well, I'm. Break I you. listen. I'm getting a jump start on the New Year's resolution to lose weight. This is a pro tip. You got to get a jump start on it, so that way people are gonna be like, wow. You lost 30 pounds in two months. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I started in December, but you know, you got to get going. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to try that one. I mean, it's you know, good. My son has tried every single smoothie <laughs> on the menu. It was his goal and he That's did it. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know how. Rock on. So often I look to him like, would I like this one? And he usually says yes or no. And it's fantastic. He know, He's a, you know, there's wine connoisseurs. Yeah, he right? is. He is. What do they call those? Uh, um, what is their I'll name? come up with it. Somalier. Somalier. He's a smoothie Somalier. Smoothie Somalier. A smooth Allier. <laughs> I'm going to give him a little beret and <laughs> yeah. he'll sit outside on a chair and say, This will pair nicely with. The- <laughs> Tell me about your, your palate. <laughs> yes, I love it. But Smoothie King, try them out around here, the St. Louis area Smoothie Kings. Uh, our favorites are, of course, at 660 Carlisle Avenue in Belleville and 3401 Namioki Road in Granite City. Again, our only sponsor, our premier foundational founding title sponsor. They're the ones. Check them out. And now on to the other movie in this fantastic Barbenheimer-esque of an episode. Yes. From Leave the World Behind, which is from a wonderful creator called Sam Esmail. Esmail? Esmail. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's one of those names where you're like, I don't usually see consonants in that order Mm -hmm. in a last name. So apologies, Sam, if yeah. we're pronouncing it wrong. But you would know him as the creator of both Mr. Robot and Homecoming, um, both TV series. Uh, Homecoming is the one on Prime Video. Really interesting series. So this guy's a hes a bit out, out of this world. He's a bit out of the box, Kirk. Is that, is. is that how you would characterize this movie? Yes. It's like if you love pressure cooker kind of movies where mm. the, like Hitchcockian uh, details and breadcrumbs get dropped as the movie rolls on, that's exactly what this movie Ooh. is. It's like Mr. Robot. You got all these details uh, of the greater of the greater vision uh, of the greater conflict. It kept giving you more and more details per episode. And in Homecoming, you didn't know what was going on until the penultimate episode. And same yes. with this, you're just you're just getting more information. You're just hunting for what these people are up against. Yeah, it's almost like, at least this is how I felt about Homecoming and Mr. Robot. It's almost like if if the story is a line, mm-hmm. you know, we also, we often think of stories as linear. You start in the middle of that line mm-hmm. and then you, the, the story works in both directions from there. Yes. Instead of starting here and going here, it's like, here's a line you start in the middle and then you work out. Whereas like you're getting future, you're getting past 
and you're learning about the present. Is that kind of what this movie is like? It's exactly what it's like. I want you to do like a blues crew, blues clues <laughs> animation with your hands where you just oh, drew. No. Oh no! <laughs> like in the beginning, in the middle of the. End. You guys it's will never perfect. see this episode because I'll spend 25 hours in After Effects ruining my life. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. That's exactly what he does. And in fact, if if he ever listens to this, which I hope he does, I want him to confirm this idea. Yes. I is love- that is that your creative process, Sam? Is it is it exactly that? And if you never hear from us again, it's because we were murdered. Because <laughs> like, they, all, they the know code. too much. They know too much. <laughs> well, this movie it's it's really cool. Let me give you a brief synopsis. It's yeah. um, it begins with Julia Roberts and Ethan Hawke. They're a married couple. They've got two kids, and out of nowhere, uh, Julie Roberts is like, let's go on vacation. Like, she's super stressed. Uh, she does kind of a lot what we do in our real-life work. Like, she's a client manager. And so <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you would want to drop what you want to do, <laughs> drop everything, and just go on vacation. Word. And so they go on this vacation. They get to this beautiful Airbnb, and then life gets tricky. Uh, they're kind of disconnected. They've got internet access, but it's kind of spotty because they're out in the country. They're by a beach. And uh, then a blackout happens in the city and then they all this other weird stuff starts happening with uh wildlife and the weather and and then there's some visitors that come to their home and it gets very crazy oh that's wild Mm -hmm. that sounds like twilight zone black mirror wildness yes yes i'm 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 already in kirk it's very it's very exciting. Again, it's a pressure cooker, and there's fantastic acting. So let's start yes. at the top with, and the Oscar goes to for Leave the World Behind. And it, of course, goes to the incredible, irreplaceable Mahershala Ali, Ooh. Academy Award winner for Moonlight. Mahershala Ali, he, so this Airbnb that Julia Roberts and her husband, Ethan Hawke, have rented, he is the owner of the Airbnb. He shows up out of the blue. This is shown in the trailer, so no spoilers. And he, he's there with his daughter, and everything is very mysterious. Why are they there? Why are they not really telling them everything that they know about the blackout that they just came from. And he's very charming, as you would expect Mahershala Ali to be. Um, he also gets very vulnerable, um, but he has all these secrets that he's not willing to tell. Like, there's all these conversations they have at the kitchen table with the kitchen island, and uh, Julia Roberts will fire a question off at him, and he's like, yeah, well, maybe I'll tell you in time. Like, very... Ooh coded and mysterious uh, which I love because it's not like it's not those words that they say it's much more creative from Sam Esmail it's very uh, it's very drawing you, you don't want to um, you don't want to lay all your cards on the table and we never I don't feel like we ever do get all the cards on the table which is uh, fantastic at storytelling to hook you from the very beginning and keep you till the very end so Mahershala Ali blows everyone else out of the water in this film love it is it like one of those where he has to be aware of what the audience, what the audience's perspective is in his performance. Like he has to be guarded, but also leave breadcrumbs for them to reconnect later. Great question. I think that the audience surrogate here for us, like who, who we relate to the most, whose eyes we're seeing this through really is Julia Roberts. Yeah. She's great at that. So good. Yeah. She's the every woman. Very, very relatable person. Yeah. And Mahershala, it's not, he's not trying to be, uh, he's not trying to like wink at the camera or anything like that. Like he truly has so much going on uh, that you're like, holy cow, when he finally does reveal his secrets later, that it just sucks you in. I love it. All right. Who who have you got as your scene stealer, Kirk? My scene stealer is 
Miss Julia Roberts, of Love course. It. Her Academy Award. Do you remember which one it was? What she won for? Aaron Brockovich. That is correct. Very correct. Um, the fangs are out with Julia Roberts in this movie. I feel like for the longest time, we got the best and the best and the best of Julia Roberts. Then she kind of stepped back, mm-hmm. and then she just kind of like lived off her fortune. <laughs> and- <laughs> As anyone would. Yes, I love that. <laughs> and then now she's like back out here swinging. You know, she was also in the Homecoming series that Sam yes. Asmail pushed oh, out. Oh, she's so good in that. That was the first time I remember her being out in public again. And it, look, she doesn't age, first of all. And True. B... All of her instinct, all of her acting instincts are spot on. Sometimes when an actor steps out of the limelight and they come back, it's like, oh, they didn't learn anything or they're still stuck in the era that they were most popular Yeah, they're in. just playing their old bag of tricks. Yes. Yep. And that's not Julia Roberts. No, she is She is basically um, like mama bear in this situation because she's got her kids there. There's weird stuff going on. But this role still allows her to play an entire range of an entire person, a complete person, and not just... You're the mom. You are 100% a whole rounded person with uh, who can laugh, who can dance, who can scream, who can threaten. And she does all of those things in this film, and it's so so exciting. And she has some secrets of her own. Like everyone has these secrets, and they all kind of make sense on how they they fit into uh, the blackout and everything that's happening. That's so mysterious. And I I love every single acting choice she picks, and she does it so flawlessly and so naturally. That is great to hear. That that's I mean, I you're you're if you're selling this movie, Kirk, you're doing a dang good job of it. I'm I'm in. That's right. You are gonna be the PR you, uh, <laughs> rep for uh what's the what's the creator's name again? Sam Esmail. No, oh sorry, you're no oh, Hayao Miyazaki. Yep. Yes. And I'll be for Sam and we we'll will just hype them up. We're gonna make them make a movie together, an animated thriller uh, yes. but in anime form. I love it. Oh, that sounds incredible. Right? Let's do it right now. We've cracked the code on Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. So aside from that, we've got the showstopper yes. in this I'm dying in this thing. to know. And I always, you know, when I watch a movie, when we first created these categories, I really wanted Showstopper to be like a moment, um, mm-hmm. a conversation, a conflict. And sometimes it is that. In this particular one, it's as simple as the cinematography. This Airbnb is a character all on its own. And... What I love about this, if you've seen Panic Room. Yep. Yep. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, uh, Kristen Stewart, I know, call back to Twilight here on this same <laughs> <Shut> episode. <laughs> Jared Leto, Forrest Whitaker. There's in its <laughs> To Jared, I want to be clear. To Jared Leto, not to Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> Both Academy Award winners, uh, actually Ooh. all of them, uh, minus Kristen Stewart. Uh, so the, the the full cinematography of this house, it, it's kind of like Panic Room, but better. Um, it, it really looks like we're, we're zooming inside of windows and outside of windows and between different floors of the home. It's two stories plus a basement. And the really cool thing about the cinematography of this is that you, when you're following characters or when you're zooming out to see the entire house, you'll also see in between the floor levels where you're not just seeing like, like when I draw a house, <laughs> a multi-level house, it's just a line, right? Yeah. Um, but if you're panning between this, you see like the cavity uh, between floors where there's the electric and the floorboards that help sustain you walking on those floors and the duct work. Like, can you hear the hum of that when the camera crosses between floors, either going upstairs or downstairs? And it's so cool. Um, I looked up the cinematographer, uh, he, which of course he has done work on uh, Homecoming and Mr. Robot. His name's Todd Campbell. Um, I, w- I could have sworn that it was the same cinematographer from yeah. Panic Room, but it wasn't. Yeah, it, do- it does. Yeah, he, he has a very distinct style. Yeah. And I can remember from Homecoming... 
Um, they used to, well, Mr. Robot obviously has really iconic, uh, visual aesthetic mm-hmm. and homecoming is very much the same way. And with homecoming, there was this, uh, there was this guy in that, in that show who was like the government, like pencil pusher guy who was like looking into all this stuff. He was ah. like following the budgetary. Yes. It's uh Shay. Uh, oh in, yeah. In season two. Yes. What's his name? Oh, Shay. What's your last name? I'll find it. Anyway. Um, he was in it and they used to, they had this really like monochromatic old like 1970s looking office that he was in and they used to like start in the office and like zoom out like this and have these like big long exaggerated shots and it's exactly what you're talking about it creates a really eerie um intimate like almost liminal effect it's it's bizarre but it's so impactful yes shea wiggum which has been he's been in a thousand different things. so many things uh just make sure you, you know that name as we need to know that name as well <laughs> uh, but yeah it, there, there's all these uh shots like where it's almost like just a, just an optical zoom like if you were holding a camcorder and you're looking at someone driving a car and then you it's the speed at which they they hit the person close up and I, I can't even describe it because it's so unique uh and so specific to the cinematographer but it always hits a nerve because it seems so unnatural yes in real life but it's so good for the storytelling and the cinematography you'll just be smiling when you watch those parts even while you're cringing in fear about what's about to be revealed to you Uh, that's great that's great but now i gotta know like pull the rug out from under me kirk what's the what's the downside i think if i were to change this so there's lots of moving parts every person in the house has a secret I think that there are some threads of those secrets that they start them and you're like, I really want to know what, what's the end of this. When you unroll this ball of yarn, what do I get? Uh, What's in this wonder ball? (laughs) Oh, I wonder, wonder what's in a wonder ball. (laughs) And some of those we don't get to consume. Uh, Some of them, they, they like let lie, uh, which is good in some cases because then you're like, Oh my gosh, it could be this. It could be that. You know, you have your mind runs amok and that's sometimes better, but in some cases, I'm like, no, I really, really wanted to know these two things that they started, but they never finished. Ooh. And it, they, they just that part drove me crazy. I felt like the things that they chose uh, were so close to being perfect in in their reveal and their and their cloak and dagger and 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 redirection. It was so close, but I was really upset by these other items. Wow, that can be a big director's shoes. Like like, what do you tell the audience and what don't you? That's such a huge part of writing and, and making a film. Mm-hmm. You got It's such a balancing act. So I'm, I'm intrigued now. Whenever I see it, we'll have to compare notes on that. Do you show the alien in Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix signs? <laughs> or do you not? I don't know. Yeah. Vominos. Vominos children. <laughs> <laughs> that was so perfect. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, so let's let's just talk about, obviously, both of us. I'm glad to hear that you were so high on The Boy and the Heron. I was yeah. very high on uh, Leave the World Behind on, on my rating here. I really believe that I could see more films by Sam Asmail. Mm. Um, I still would love more series. He does have a couple more projects uh, lined up. I don't, I'm not for sure if they're TV series or films. There was a part of this that felt episodic because that's what he's comfortable in, but I still felt that it flowed nicely in a similar structure that we've seen movies uh, flow in 
that have separate parts to them, and it's all the same characters throughout. So I, I would really change. I would go back and, and have a chat with him. Take Sam out to coffee, sure, and, as one does, <laughs> right, in Hollywood on a private jet, whatever, <laughs> and and really come to terms with saying this needs to be revealed. That doesn't, um, and because of that, it's not a perfect movie. Mm. It comes really close. Really cool stuff in this, but I'm gonna give it. It's hard. This is very hard. I'm gonna give it an eight point one out of ten Ooh. kernels. Nice, good score. But I would rewatch this. You know, sometimes you you get to the end. This is what's good about it. You get to the end of a of a thriller. It's not a whodunit, but you get to the end of what's this mystery right. that's overarching, and you say. I could. I will never watch that again because I know the answer. Yes. Like Murder on the Orient Express. Got it. <laughs> but for this one, I'd be like, yes, I would absolutely go on this journey again. I think that's why it gets such a high rating. Yeah, that's key. That's key. You want to go back and see what did I miss? What what's what's there that I maybe didn't pick up? That's that's fun. Yeah, that's really fun. So good score overall um, from both of us. Yeah. So whether you're able to go to the movie theater or not. <laughs> You have options this week, this weekend, uh, to hit up The Boy and the Heron in theaters and leave the world behind on Netflix. Tell us what you're watching. Tell us, is there something else that's, I mean, there's a billion movies out there right now. Like, we don't even have time to see Napoleon right now, which is one of the biggest movies has been has been talked about so much recently. Yep. Um, I think Beyonce's Renaissance movie came out. Yes. I mean, there's so many things floating out there, and we want to know what you're watching. Tell us on Discord, the Discord chat. You can get on there for free. Make a username real quick and just chat through everything. Check out our website to get that. You could check out our link tree, which is linked everywhere that we have on our TikTok, on our Twitter, or X, on our Facebook, on our whatever. You'll find us, and we hope to chat with you in all those places. What do you what What do you think, Kim? We sure do. This is the calm before the storm. We're about to get into Oscar season, so buckle up, join us, get on the Discord, get everywhere, and that's all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks.